Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, the book of Matthew. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. And I want to, this morning, preach a message entitled, Three Questions That Need an Answer. Three Questions That Need an Answer. Uh, Obviously, there are other questions, I'm sure. Uh, One of the classics I remember uh, of of, uh, messages that I've heard uh, was the former president of the Bible college that I attended, uh, Dr. Ben Crandall, who visited here, well, not this building, but many years ago. Many of you were not here, didn't have the privilege to meet him. But one of the classic messages about a question uh, that so many need to answer and that the Bible does, in fact, answer for us is, why are we here? And uh, I remember Dr. Crandall preaching that uh, out of Psalm 8 and uh, just, just masterfully. In fact, uh, I don't know how many of you, let me just say this before we get into the message, I don't know how many of you listen to sermons. If you do, you don't need to raise your hand, but if you do, uh, and if you can, if you know how to get onto the internet, I would encourage you, if you are used to that, if you can listen to it through your computer, uh, if you go to, if you look up Times Square Church, New York City, and uh, there is a section in there, you will be blessed and filled. Maybe you need something a little extra in the week. Um, But Dr. Crandall, in fact, I listened to a message the other night when I was trying to sleep and couldn't sleep and got up and uh, was just listening. It's the first time, at least, that I I think that he has preached. Uh, He is the seniors pastor there in Times Square Church in New York City, founded by David Wilkerson. Uh, And he preached for the first time since his wife had passed away, uh, Sister Jean Crandall, and, and a powerful message. I think it was, a, I don't know if it was their Tuesday night prayer meeting or what it was, maybe it was Sunday, but nonetheless, he preached, and it was just so powerful. And I, I would encourage you, if you do, go there, look it up, find your way around, uh, and find that message. Uh, it was just recent, so you'll be able to find it quickly and listen. Uh, but I remember him preaching that sermon on why are we here? And uh, there are other questions in the Bible that we could talk about and that we need to find an answer for. But I think that these today, these three things that I want to just present to you and give to you, these three things are, they come from not God's perspective, but they come from your perspective. It is essentially as if God were to be asking these questions to you, and you need to answer that question for yourself. We'll get to what these questions are uh, in just a moment, but I believe the world is full of questions. In fact, you have discussion with somebody, maybe it is that they ask you questions as a believer, and they ask you questions, maybe they're a non-believer, that you can't answer. And, And I know a lot of times we find almost like it's like a personal failure if we feel like we don't have all the answers. Don't ever believe, don't ever think that everyone has all the answers. There are things I cannot answer. There are things that I don't know. There are things that we, as even as believers, that are mysteries to us that we can't quite comprehend. But I know this. I know that there are basics in the Scripture 
that give us answers that are solid, that are true, on which we can base our lives and give ourselves for and say, Lord, I'm going to live for you based on what it is that I know the Word of God uh, is saying. But I want us to look in in Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to take some time to read, uh, starting at verse 22, and we're going to read down through to verse 34. The Bible says this, the eye, this is in the middle of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, God, uh, and, gone to, and is thrown into the fire, gone to, here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that the truth? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus warns us to answer three important questions in this passage that I just read to you. Both in times of difficulty and in times of great financial security. It could be that your life has been rocked, as many Americans. It has been rocked through, really literally, quite literally, since 2008. We saw just the the bottom fall out of the the stock market. It had a ripple effect in so many areas, but we felt it most 
Not because we are heavily invested in stocks and bonds and all of that kind of stuff. We felt it on the job level. Some of you had, had your department shut down in an afternoon. Some of you walked into your job and they said, we're cutting your hours because, you know, we can't afford to pay you now. Things have just gotten worse. And, you know, companies had to tighten their belts. And, and all of a sudden, people were released. People got pink slips all over the place. And folks... It's still happening. We look around us and we think there's still so much financial insecurity that there are people today trying to get jobs, can't get jobs, even though they are qualified. And you think that somehow, somewhere along the way, something has to give, something has to happen. What are we to do? What are you and I as believers supposed to do? Jesus challenges us with three important questions. Here's the first one. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? The second question is this. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? And the third one is, why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? The first one I want to look at is found verses 22 and 23. We, we read it. I'm not going to take time to reread those verses of Scripture. It essentially is this. We've got to answer the question, what are we looking at? Jesus takes a very physical and basic physical lesson and gives it a spiritual application. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eyes are what allows light to enter your body so you can see where you're going, what and who is around you. In verse 23, Jesus then says, if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. I have never known, and I hope I never ever know, what it is to be blind. But I know that there are those who are, and they have learned how to deal with that that particular disability, and in fact, in many cases, you will find that a blind person can tell who's coming simply by how the walk is. All of a sudden, they hear a certain, you know, a certain gait in the walk, and they know that it's this person or that person, or their, their sense of hearing, they know when somebody's around, when the slightest noise, there's somebody there. But the Bible indicates here that if your eyes are bad, then your whole body is full of darkness. There's no sense of light. There is no sense of, of what is around by being able to see through your eyes and what's going on. The light can't get in because the eyes aren't working properly. Something has blinded them from allowing light to enter. See... In the world, there is the wrong kind of light. The world says, go ahead, look at this. Take a look at these things. And a lot of times, it might even be as believers, we go ahead and we take a look. And all of a sudden, something gets into our spirit, but there is a darkness that enters through that particular thing that we have been looking at. I, uh, I remember as a kid being around people who were welding. Uh, and I was always fascinated by the big thing that they pulled down over their face, and it had a very thick, thick kind of glass that was tinted. It was, you know, tinted heavily, but that thick glass 
shielded them from a light that they say is as bright as the sun if you were to look at it. And it's the smallest light, whatever it is that they're welding, if you were to look at it, it would, it would potentially blind you, at least temporarily, if not permanently. So anybody who's welding has to use this, and that is the wrong kind of light to be looking at. It is a light that can then bring darkness to your soul. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this question today. What are you looking at? In your life as a Christian, what is your getting your attention? Look, a lot of times we, we go through life and we think, well, you know what? I'm a believer. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. But we never take time to read the Bible. We don't take time to find out what God has to say for us. Can I tell you that the Bible says about itself, the psalmist said these words. It says, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Not the blinding kind of light. Not the bad kind of light, but the kind of light that will guide you through the darkness. If you are looking at the Word of God, I want to tell you today, you will have something to guide you through some of the darkest moments and the darkest times in your life. God desires to lead you, to guide you, and direct you, but He can only do that if you are looking to His Word. A lot of times we look at our circumstances. We're looking at our problems rather than looking at the problem solver. Rather than looking at the one who is able to come and to help you in the midst of your struggles and your difficulties, I really think that, that you know, the book of Hebrews is such a rich and powerful book. I would encourage you from time to time to just dip into the book of Hebrews. Read it through. If you don't understand some things, that's all right, but... But just read it through because there are going to be things that are going to be very real, very plain, and very, very powerful for your life. But one of the most powerful verses of Scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on him. If you're going to run the race that is set before you in a manner that honors God, in a manner that pleases him... I want you to know today that you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Him, not on your circumstances. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Jesus is not having a discussion in this passage on the intricacies of light and how the eye works, the physical eye. But in the context of these, the three verses prior to this and the verses that follow, it seems apparent that Jesus is indicating that if you're looking at wealth and riches to bring satisfac satisfaction in life, your sight is being hindered by something that will never satisfy. The problem is, is we keep looking at things that never fill the void. He says, if you keep looking at me, if you keep your eyes on me, if you will always look at me, then there will always be somebody and something that will fill the emptiness of your heart. Ask any young person who has come through life, maybe just, you know, take a dip back into your, your life a little bit. Find out in a little bit, in a little while, somebody else's story. Find out where they came from and what it was that they tried to do to fill the void of their lives. And I want 
want you to know, you won't look very far until you realize that everything that has been pursued that has not been of God has left you empty and hopeless. It's only Jesus that satisfies. So we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Look at Him in the middle of your situation, in the middle of your problem. Don't look at the circumstances. The circumstances are always going to be there. Jesus says, look, at the end of that, He wound up. He says, each, each day has enough trouble of its own. It's true. Most of us are thinking about the trouble that's supposed to happen this week. You know, and I realize you might be an optimist. And I hope you are. I have the tendency to err on the side of pessimism. You know what a pessimist is? Well, a pessimist just simply looks at it from the negative perspective. You know, my glass right now is not half full. It is half empty. Right? That's a pessimist. The optimist says, it's half full. Look at all the water you got. And I look at it and I say, yeah, but look at how much is gone. You know, that, that's, that's the difference. That's the basic difference. Some of us, we're always looking at the negative. We're always looking at what's missing, what isn't. But I want you to know, when we look at Jesus, we can see what is. We can see who is and who is able to help us in the midst of our struggles. What are you looking at today? Are you looking at Him or are you looking at somebody else? That's the other part of our problem. We not only look at our circumstances, we look at other people. Well, that person does this. So therefore, it gives me a license to do this. That person will do this. Well, fine, I'll do it this way then. Look, as long as you're looking at people around you, you are looking at imperfection. You're looking at people who will mess it up. You're looking at people who may not do it right. So can I encourage you today, keep your eyes on Jesus. I remember a number of years ago hearing a, a preacher who has now gone on to be with the Lord, a remarkable, remarkable man by the name of Brother A.A. A. Ledford. Uh, I don't even remember what the A.A. A. stood for. I just He went by A.A. A. Ledford. Uh, he was a great preacher in the church of God um, in that denomination my dad, we had him preach at our church a number of times. He preached in the camp meeting up in Maine. He was, I don't know, he was pastored all over and was from different places. But I, this man literally, when he preached, did not open his Bible. He did not. He quoted every verse of Scripture. He would quote passages, entire passages. I mean, he just, uh, he read the Bible through four times a year. Imagine that, four times a year. That's, that would be, what, once every Three months, right? Thank you. My mathematician down here. I always look to Julian when it comes to some kind of math. <laughs> but I, and, and it's simple. You know, I, I, right now, I'm, I thank God for second grade math. Um, it's a brush up. Uh, I'm lost with Jamie. She's on her own at this point. So as uh, she's gone into sixth grade. But, you know, he would just, he would quote scripture. He'd get up there. And I remember him telling the story one time. It was right around the time where uh, so many of some of these dynamic you know, evangelists, all of a sudden they were falling left and right. Just, you know, w one falling into sin, another one all of a sudden, you know, had called out the one about the sin that they were involved in and come to find out he was messing around too behind the scenes. And it was just this, 
It was this horrible pall that was cast across the whole church world. I mean, many of you, some of you remember that. And it just was this horrible experience. And Brother Ledford had this young man approach him and say to him, he said, you know, Brother Ledford, I've noticed all of these men fall. He said, you know, I don't know what I would do if, if that were you. Brother Ledford looked at him and said, listen, son, he said, don't look at me. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. I remember one woman in our church at that time when one of these men, these great men of God, preached the gospel, still preaching the gospel, following the Lord, still, you know, the Lord's re- restored him, but, but, you know, not to the, the status that he had before. But, you know, I remember when, when it happened, this woman literally left the church because she said, if, if he, if, if it happens to him, What's going to happen to me? Like somehow these other human beings are more superhuman than us ordinary people just sort of sitting in the pew going through life. Folks, that is so false. Listen, I want to tell you, get your eyes off people. Stop looking at everybody around you and get your eyes on Jesus and look at him. What are you looking at? You're going to look at somebody and say, well, that's what they did, so that gives me license. It gives you nothing. You keep your eyes on Jesus and let Jesus be the one to help you and guide you through your life. That is, what are you looking at? You've got to answer that. Am I looking at my circumstances? Am I looking at people? Am I looking at what's going on around me? Or am I going to look at Jesus? Now, he says this also, verse 24, brings us to this question. Who are you serving? On the one hand, this is a what question because it talks about money, but it talks about God in contrast to money. So it's really a who and a what, but we'll just call it who because, you know, for many of us, money has become more than an object. It has become a God. In the world that we're living in, when you think about all that is happening uh, in the world today, it is, it is the pursuit of individuals to just get more. It's not that, you know, you can, maybe you can have enough to pay your bills. You might even have enough to go on a nice vacation every now and then. You might even have enough to put away for retirement. You might have enough to do that. You might even have enough to pay for your kid's college. Maybe. You might have enough, although that's getting out of control, but you might have enough for all of those things. But usually, it's not enough. Somebody once asked somebody who was very wealthy and very rich, more than they needed, how much money do you really need? And their answer was one word, more, just more. There's nothing against money. We find that in Scripture. The Bible doesn't condemn money. It condemns the love of money. This is really what Jesus is getting down to it. He is saying no one can serve two masters in verse 24. You will love one and hate the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. It is apparent from this that money can be such a driving force that before you realize it, the whole pursuit of your life is centered around this one thing. That no longer is it the pursuit of God. You see, God is the one who brings blessing. But oftentimes, we then change and turn our trajectory to pursue the blessing. 
I'm not saying today, and, and I already said it, I'm not, I'm repeated. I'm not saying money is an evil thing, money is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I am simply saying the, the pursuit of your life, if it does not include being him first, then I want you to know today you've got your priorities mixed up. There is something that has happened in your heart that has changed that should not be. We've got to go after him before anything else in our lives. Go after God with all of our hearts. Say, Pastor, don't you know you need money to live? I know it probably more than you do. I do know it. You know we all need it. There's, there's no getting around it but the pursuit. You know, the Bill of Rights... The Bill of Rights for our country affords us the right of the pursuit of happiness. In our generation, we have twisted it around and it has become the right to pursue money. We think that somehow money is going to give that kind of happiness. Now, it might fix a whole bunch of stuff. It might fix a number of things, but it will not fix what's on the inside. And once you get it and you've let it fix some of those other external things, you will find, you think, oh my goodness, it's now gone. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You see, the world says the more you have, the better your life will be. The money you have, the more power you possess. This is true from the world's point of view. You would have to be blind to say that having a lot of money does not afford some luxuries and comforts in life, but you're equally blind to say that the pursuit of money is the most important thing there is. Listen, let me just skip ahead a little bit and get to it. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added. He's not saying those things are bad. He's just saying, go after me first and then let me bless you. Go after me and let me encounter ways in which I can touch your life, I can bless your life, and I can minister to your need and provide for you. Jesus shows us that God and money are essentially masters, which is probably why I turned this question not into a what or a, but a who. Who are you serving? One is the type of, the mas type of master that will reward you for eternity. The other one will only reward you temporarily, but can do nothing for the future. Ross Perot, I think it was, I don't know, if, I don't, I mean, I ever remember, you remember this guy named, by the name of Ross Perot, ran for president uh, as an independent a few years ago. He w I, I could listen to that guy talk all day. Uh, he had that southern Texas accent. He was this billionaire from Texas, you know, and he had just the most unique voice that you just want to laugh at every time you heard it. Not because he was saying funny things, even though he would say some funny things. But he says, you know, we, we, we worry about getting more things and more things and more things. And this is a guy who had, a, had essentially all. He says, we worry about more, getting more and more and more. And he says, you know what? When you get to the end of your life, it's just you going in the box. You're not taking anything with you. There's absolutely nothing you're taking with you. And that is the absolute truth, folks. 
What you're going to take with you is what's on the inside of you. What you will take with you will determine your destiny, your eternal destiny. Listen, we don't just exist and live in this little moment of time here. When you get to the end of your life, you will continue to live on. Your soul, your spirit will live on. The body may go into the ground, but you will continue to live. You will live somewhere, and the pursuit of your life will determine where it is that you live. This is why we've got to go after God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds. We've all seen the news of someone winning, you know, the jackpot, right? The lottery. And I, I, without a show of hands, I'll just ask how many of you have said, man, I wish that was me. You know, when it's... 400 million or 600 million, the government takes half, as they will do, because it's the government, they do what they want. Uh, don't get me started. But, um, sorry, I got myself started on that one. So let me just leave it and exit it. But they're going to take about almost half of that, but you're still left with 300 million, right? What would you do with 300 million? Well, pastor, you know, I'd tithe. Would you really? Oh, give me a break. No, you wouldn't. All of a sudden, you know, people get funny about the money. There was an article a number of years ago in the Chicago Tribune about a man and his wife who had won millions uh, a few years prior to that, prior to the article. The article was, was sad in that it pointed out how much money not only uh, had changed these people emotionally, but it had literally changed their friends that were around them. Friends that had been friends for years turned on them because somehow those friends felt they were owed a payout just for being their friends. Hey, you know, we expect something. We want something. We need it. We should have it because you have more than you need. The article boiled it all down to the fact that the man and his wife now basically had to live in seclusion. They lived in, un in unhappiness and they lived friendless because of the deception of serving money. There is a horrible, horrible deception that the more you get, the happier you're going to be. And the bottom line is, the more you get, the more somebody's going to try to suck it right on out of you. They're just going to do their best to take it, to rob you, and to make sure that they get some of the action. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we have got to come to a place in our own hearts and in our lives where we say, God, you are my first pursuit. Whatever happens after that, I'm going to attribute to you. But may it never be that I will pursue the master of money, but instead, I will pursue the master of the universe and I will find in him everything that I need that pertains to life and godliness. He says, I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide for you. He may provide for you in a greater way than somebody else, but I want you to stop looking at what somebody else has got or doesn't have and say, God, I'm going to see you as the one who has provided for me and I'm going to pursue you with everything that is within my my heart. Let me place you at the top of the list. Number one of my pursuit. 
Don't go after things that could disappear in a moment. There have been other stories about individuals who, you know, all of a sudden had tons of money. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to, you know, to, to handle it wisely. And within years, it was gone. They were back in the same kind of thing after having millions and millions and millions of dollars. They were back in the same kind of, same kind of lifestyle that they had before. Why? They didn't know what to do with it. Folks, it can be here in a moment and gone in the next. Don't, depend, don't let your life depend on those things. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to believe in you. And my pursuit is going to be you. So, the final question is this. Why? Are you worrying? Why are you worrying? Without reading this whole passage again from verses 25 down through verse 34 in Matthew 6, the question is very probing. As Jesus tells the disciples and those who are listening in on this conversation, this Sermon on the Mount, as it were, He says, he starts out by essentially saying a negative statement for a positive effect. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or your body, what you'll wear, all of those things. He says, stop worrying about those things. Well, why should we stop worrying? Aren't those things important, Pastor? Really, in the end, isn't that really? Aren't those some of the the, the very, very basics? I mean, he talks about food. We need food to live. You need food to exist. Why should we stop worrying? Well, there are a number of reasons why we should stop worrying, but the first and most important thing is this, and you will recognize this if you get your pursuit straight. And it is this, your Father will provide. And Jesus takes some of the lower life forms of the earth. Now, I know that in school... Our kids are being taught that we're animals, you know, right? They're being taught in biology and science. You're animals, just like all the other animals. You are not. No, I'm not a scientist. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher, and I read the Bible. The Bible says this. We humans were made a little lower than the angels, but it also says prior to that in in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that Adam was given rule over all of the other animals. In other words, God made man to be with an intellect. He made him with the ability to choose with a free will, something that the animals do not have. They have instinct only that when they need something, they go after it. But the Bible says, and, and Jesus uses these lower life forms to show how valuable you are and the fact that if you're so valuable and God takes care of some of these forms of life that are lower than yours, what's he going to do with you? Let you waste away to nothing? What's he going to do to you? Ignore you? No. He says... Think about it, of how much more value, valuable are you than they? 
You are intensely more valuable. You are, you are more valuable than we could ever begin to discuss and imagine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, as a human being, as somebody who has a will, a choice, the ability to communicate in this way, we, uh, we live, we work, we industrialize the world, we do things that animals cannot do. You are not an animal. And I want you to know, he takes care of the animals, so he's going to take care of you. If you don't get happy about that, I don't know what, what's going to make you happy. He's going to take care of you. He will watch over for you, watch out for you. Your father will provide. Maybe you didn't have a father around. Maybe your father didn't provide anything to you. But I want you to know your father on this earth is not like your heavenly father. Maybe it wasn't by choice. Maybe dad wasn't there and it just wasn't your choice, wasn't his choice, but it just was. But I want you to know that your father will take care of you. He will provide for you. He will help you. He will cause you to be what you need to be for him because he is a heavenly father. He loves you. He loves you more than anything in this world. And even though that lower life form, he takes care of it. But I want you to know that God will take care of you. So why are you worrying? You see, I've already mentioned this, but let me just touch on it again. The Bible tells us in these verses of Scripture that we are to seek Him first. You see, in the middle of a society that is crazed with the pursuit of more, Jesus shows us that the Christian is to pursue one thing and one thing only, His kingdom and His righteousness. His kingdom and his righteousness. You go after him with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, and he will take care of you. Stop worrying about the things that you can't change. He says, who of you by worrying can, you know, add a single moment to your life? In fact, some people believe worrying kind of subtracts a few moments from your life. Who of you can change the hair on your head. Trust me, I've tried. And uh, I still threaten, I still threaten, I say, I say to my wife, I'm going to go get Rogaine. She says, don't waste your money on that stuff. It doesn't work. However, if there are men in the building who've tried it and it works, please tell me after the service. But I've been, you know, worried, Lord, please, my receding hairline, Lord, I got that spot in the back, you know, God, please, Lord, oh, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. Well, for what? You know, for somebody who has no hair, my hair grows so fast, it's ridiculous. My wife looked at me the other day, she goes, you need another haircut, for crying out loud. I only gave you one two weeks ago. I was like, yes, I know, it grows fast, even though there's just not enough there, you know? You can't worry those things back into existence. You can't worry and see things change. The only thing that will change in your worry is you. Your situation won't. The only thing that's going to change the situation is faith. 
It is trust in a God who is powerful enough and big enough and strong enough and able enough to come into your need and to to change the situation, whatever the case might be. When you're going after Him, you're saying, Lord, I'm going to trust You. That's really what that pursuit means. The pursuit of seeking Him first and His, His righteousness and His kingdom and all of these things being added to you, it is a confession that, Lord, I am dependent upon You and You only. It says, Lord, I need need you. And there is nothing, I, I don't think God loves to hear anything more than, than his creation saying, Lord, we need you. We need you. In this place, we need you. God, in my life, I need you. In my life, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to go after you with all my heart. I love how, how it is that while Jesus uses the lower life forms to show how it is that he's going to take care of us who are higher, and not an animal, but higher than those lower life forms. But the psalmist said this, and I'll close with this. The psalmist used that lower life form to show the pursuit that we need to have for God. There was an example in the deer that he viewed and that he saw. A deer that was thirsty. A deer that needed a drink of water. And the deer didn't sit there and say, now... I need a drink of water. Where is the nearest 7-Eleven I can go to and I can find to buy a bottle of water? What can I do? How am I able to do this? No, the deer just knows that it's thirsty. There is an instinct that says, I've got to go for water. And it immediately goes and pants, as the psalmist said, for the water brook. He says, so my soul longs for you, O God. I want you to know the pursuit of our lives, the pursuit of our soul needs to be him as we answer those questions. Why are we worrying? We're not going to worry anymore because we're going to go after a God who will provide and who will take care of us, who will minister to our needs. We're going to go after him and we're going to believe that he is the one that we are to be serving and that he is the one that we are to be looking at. In the midst of all of that, those are three questions you've got to answer, and you've got to answer in a way that would say, Lord, you're first in it all. You are first. You're number one. You're above everything. You're above my family. You're above my, my job. You're above it all. You are above it all, and because of that, I'm going to go after you with everything that is within me. I want you to know that when you do that, God will provide for you. He will help you. He will minister to you. He will give you the strength that you need to move forward in life and not allow the enemy to have any kind of place in your heart and in your mind. You go after him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. I want us to stand right now. I want the musicians to come forward.